Hi, Hope. I want to talk to you about lies. There's a lot of lies that we believe in relationships. Lies, lies, lies. But God wants to make those lies disappear one at a time. Sometimes it, it just takes a lot to, to really admit that we believe things that aren't true about ourselves, about others. But God could take each one of those lies and replace it with his truth and bring hope and joy and grace and love and forgiveness into our lives. They are the best and the hardest parts of our lives. We feel all of their successes and all of their pain. Today, we are going to spend some time talking about our kids. They need our help now more than ever. So Janelle just shuffled up the cards. We're gonna try something here. Reach in, grab grab any card you want. And uh, Tyrone, reach in, grab one. Okay. Uh, here, reach in, grab one. Okay. And reach in and grab one. I want you to um, show your your cards to the camera. Show all the aces to the camera. What? Uh, oh, um, just in case you're wondering, a, an ace looks like that, okay? okay. Uh, j just so we know. Okay. So here's what I want you to do, is put a mark on there or sign that um, and just pass around here, put yours on the table. Oh. Yeah, uh, any, any mark, yep. My name? Yeah, that's perfect. Um, just something quick Aww. and short, yep. <laughs> okay, so I'll take yours. Take yours. A T for Tyrone. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Oh, and K for Kathy. Okay, so so we have your and my my smiley <laughs> a smiley face on my oh. thumb. Uh, okay, so so your your four cards. What I'm going to do is I'm going to place them into four different parts of the deck. Now it doesn't really matter where they go, long as they're five or six cards apart. And then I'm going to try to do something with. Yeah, that's perfect. With, with your four aces, watch. We'll start with this one and we'll just have it jump up. <laughs> then we'll have yours that jump up. Huh. Here, just one hand, just one hand. And the last one, watch. And just so you know, like that, Janelle, that does have your signature on it, yes? Right, yes. Okay. And I'll even show you the, the top card. That way you don't think, like, you know, I have two with your signature somehow on it. Watch. Wait, this would be the top card, right? It's not going to be. That's what I'm Well, we are uh, going to continue on in our series talking about the family. And today the topic is parenting. One message is all we should need because parenting is so easy and we're all experts at it. And so this really shouldn't be a big deal. I'm very uh, excited about today's message because we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. Uh, I'm going to be joined in a few minutes and you're going to get to hear from uh, a good friend of mine, Heather Sullivan. And, uh, and Heather is not only a gifted communicator, 
but she's an incredible mom. She is the director of Kids City across all of our campuses and one of uh, dozens of family ministry experts that is a part of our staff here at Hope. And I'm super excited for you to hear what she is going to share with you. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be encouraging. Uh, and it's for all of us today. And it's, it's going to be so great. And so in this series so far, Mike began by summing up the state of the family. And then in the last couple of weeks, he's talked about the state of marriages. And, and I thought, how do we talk about the state of parenting without spending all of our time just, just talking about that? And then I thought, you know what? This kind of sums up parenting right here. Check this out. <laughs> that's it right there, right? What, I think my favorite part is the parent is videoing the whole thing, right? Like that's, it's this endless circle that leaves us all smashing our faces with trash cans. That's parenting right now. Now let me give you a few disclaimers before I start. The first is this. I am not a perfect parent. So Laura and I, we have one son, one child. Uh, when Ty was born, he was so easy that everyone around us said, your next one's going to be the devil. <laughs> we're like, that's scary, right? So we stopped. We're like, we're done then right there. I'm not bringing Satan into the world. And so we just, we stopped at one. Now, um, Ty it would be the first to agree that I am not a perfect parent. In fact, he uh, was watching this message at our Apex campus this weekend and probably strained a neck muscle, nodding in agreement with that. Uh, uh, I remember one time, uh, we both love ice cream sandwiches, and I, I had opened the freezer door, and uh, there was a box in there, and there was only one left in the box, and I grabbed it, and when I closed the door, Ty was standing there, and he said, oh, Dad, can I have one? And I really didn't even think about it. I just instinctively squeezed the box enough that when I held it upside down, nothing came out, and I said, Ty, I'm so sorry. There's, there's none left, buddy. He was like, oh, man, and he walked away disappointed, and I ate the last one, and, uh, and so I, he's never heard that story before this weekend. I feel like maybe I should apologize, but everyone knows the last one is the best one, and I don't feel bad at all. And so I'm not a perfect parent. I didn't have perfect parents. I had great parents. Uh, they loved God. They loved each other. They loved me, my sister. They tolerated. I mean, it was I had, I had great family, but not perfect parents. And th that's the third disclaimer is there really is no such thing as perfect parents, right? And so all of us, we can take a deep breath this morning because we're all in the same boat together. Now, let me address two audiences today, too, that we're going to be talking to. One is to parents. If you are actively parenting, right, I, I want to give you a disclaimer up front, too, and it's this. We can't fix your kids in the next 35 minutes, right? That, that's not possible. And I know that your kids have issues, and you know how I know that? because you have issues, right? And so we're all in this place together. In fact, Mike, a couple weekends ago, he talked about the four stages of marriage. And when I, when I listened to it, I thought, you know what? As parents, we go through the exact same four stages. The first stage is this. It's the smitten stage. And that's when they're born, right? And they're, they're so cute when they're born. Well, not right when they're born. They're like slimy and weird. But, but like after that, they're cute, right? And they smell good. And, and when they cry, like you want to respond to them. And when they're one year old, they, you have a little party, you give them their own cake and they smear it all over themselves. And you're like, that's so cute, right? And you take pictures of it. I mean, that's the smitten stage. The second stage is this. It's the oh no stage. That's when they turn two, right? And they, and they take spaghetti and they smear it all over themselves. And instead of finding it cute, you're like, 
what is the matter with you, right? Like, what, what's going on? And the only reason you're videoing it is so that you can show it at their wedding one day because you're just, you don't even know what to do. Third stage is this. It's the how did we get here stage. That's when, uh, I don't know, maybe you have a biter. You're like, my kid's five and he bites everyone, everything, right? Like, I don't want to be known as the parent of a, of a biter, right? How did we get here and where do I find a muzzle, right? That's the third stage. And the last stage is this. It's the what do we do now stage. Maybe you have a teenager, and maybe that teenager tries to sneak out, and you end up in my office saying, Donnie, what do we do now? I'm like, I, I don't know. Maybe one of those invisible fences and the collar, and so as they're running, they're <laughs> just enough, right? Just enough to slow down. I don't know. We can't fix your kids today. But what we are going to give you is, is some encouragement, and we're going to give you a place to start. Now, let me talk to the other audience, and the other audience is this. It's everybody else, right? The rest of you, if you're not actively parenting, we need you to know that you are so important. And what we're going to talk about today is that how God wants to use you and how the parents here desperately need you to be involved in their lives. And so we can't address every issue that every family is dealing with, but we're going to give you a place to start. We're going to give you some encouragement. And if you put this into practice, I truly believe it's our best shot at, at having the godly family that we want. It's our best shot at being the best parents that we can possibly be. If you have your Bible, love for you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. That's where we're going to hang out for a little while um, this morning. If you uh, didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. You can follow along. We're going to put the verses up on the side screens, or you can download our app as well. It has notes in there and a place to follow. Now, while you're turning to Deuteronomy 6, let me just share this. There's not a lot of passages in the Bible that directly talk about parenting. And in fact, this is the very first one that, that teaches us how we should parent. And I think Moses gave it to us because the family was already dysfunctional, right? In fact, you go all the way back to Adam and Eve from the very beginning, and their son Cain killed his brother Abel. And not too long after that, God looked at how dysfunctional families were, and he said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to shorten their lifespan because they're living too long and causing too much chaos on the earth. Well, that unfortunately wasn't enough, and he ended up having to wipe us out, right, with, through a flood and said, I'm going to start over through Noah and his family. Well, the ground was barely dry when Noah got drunk and naked, and one day one of his sons came in and covered him up, and when Noah woke up, he, he realized what had happened, and he cursed his son simply for trying to help him. The dysfunction continued through Abraham, who sent his son Ishmael off to a distant land because he made fun of his other brother Isaac. See, from Adam and Eve, from the very beginning, this whole family thing has been broken, and it's been messy, and it's been incredibly difficult. And so God gave to Moses one of the greatest teachings in the Bible on how to parent. Deuteronomy 6, beginning at verse 1, says this. These are the commands, decrees, and the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you, to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. See, Moses right here, he gives us the key to, to a great family. It's that we learn how to fear the Lord, right, as, as we teach our children how to live according to God's word, right, to, to his commands. Now, the result is this. Not only will you be changed, but the next generation, and, and not even just the next generation, but the generation after will be different as a result. See, here's our goal as parents. It's to train our children not to depend on us, not even to depend on themselves. Definitely not to depend on culture and the voices that are around them, but to depend on the one 
who created them. See, that's the greatest priority for us as parents. It's for us to learn how to transfer our child's dependence away from us until it rests solely on God. See, we know this. When our, when our kids are, are little, right, they're completely dependent on us. When you go on vacation, you pack their suitcase for them. And when you get to Disney, you open up that suitcase and you lay out their clothes and that's what they wear and, and it's great. Until they get to the age where they say, hold on, I, I want to pack my own suitcase. I want to choose what it is that I wear today, right? And they get to that place where they're transferring dependence. So let me say this again because this is so important. Your job as a mom, your job as a dad is to help transfer their dependence from us to God. So how do we do that? Well, Moses tells us in verse 4, he says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Let me give you three observations from this passage. Here's the first one. Is that your relationship with Jesus matters. In fact, I would say it is the most important aspect to raising a godly family. So your parenting begins long before what to expect when you're expecting, right? Or long before you finally get that car seat secured in the car so that when you turn one direction, your kid doesn't do 80 miles an hour in the other direction, right? Long before you get that important advice from your mama, the most important thing is your relationship with God. Look at what Moses said in verse 5. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. See, the way you love Jesus, and as a result, the way you love your spouse, that is the greatest gift that you can ever give to your kids. It's hard, but what God is telling us to do here is that we love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, all of our strength. Why? Why not just some of our heart, right? Why not, why not most of our soul? Why, why not a good part or at least as much as we can of our strength? Why is that not enough? Because your kids are watching you and your kids are going to follow your example. See, as a parent, if I only love God with some of my heart, part of my soul, with a, a piece of my strength, right? if I only do that when my team isn't playing, if I only do that when it's convenient for me, if I only love God a little bit, right, when, when I need him for something, it's kind of like a flu shot. What happens when you get a flu shot? They, they give you the flu, right? They give you a little bit of it so that you become immune, right, to the full strain of the flu. And when we as parents, when we only love God with a, a little bit of who we are, well, guess what? So will your kids. And in doing so, they actually become immune to loving God with all of their lives. In fact, Paul said it this way in, in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Let me ask you a hard question. Can you look in the mirror and say with conviction, I hope my kids turn out exactly like me? That's a hard question, but it's not a hopeless question. But if I'm honest with you, I, I can't answer yes to that right now, right? Because it, it just means that I need more of Jesus. I need Jesus to continue to do work in me. And, and it's not just for me, but it's for Ty. And not just for Ty, but it's for Ty's future kids as well. See, it starts with my relationship with Jesus. Here's the second thing. Second observation is that you need to impress them on your children, not impress your children. So your goal is not to be your kid's best friend. Not now. 
maybe when they're like 23, right? I pray that one day I will be one of Ty's closest friends, but that's not my job right now. My job is to be his parent. See, if your goal is for your kid to like you, to be the cool parent, you're not helping them because you're not that cool, right? It's just, it's just not a thing. If your kids tell you that you're their best friend, can I tell you something? They're lying. They want something. That's the only reason your job is not to be their best friend, right? That's not, your job isn't to impress them. And your job is also not to make them impressive. It's not to provide everything for them and make their life easy and give them every experience. In doing that, what you do is you actually rob them of learning how to handle difficulties and stress. They don't know how to deal with conflict, and they don't know how to make tough decisions, and they'll never leave your basement. That's what happens as a, as a result when that goes on. Well, look at what Moses said in verse 7. He said, impress them on your children. So what does that mean? Well, it means this, is you teach them to own their own relationship with Jesus which means that you spend time with them. And when you do, you look for opportunities for teachable moments where you get to share how your story is a part of God's bigger story around you. Look at the examples that Moses gave. He said this, talk about it when you sit at home. See, times and culture have changed so much. I remember growing up where we would eat dinner together as a family almost every night. But with Ty, it was different. If we got two or three nights a week, like we called that a win, right? Because of adult small groups and student ministry small groups and baseball practice and Saturday night services and Sunday night services, it, it, we just weren't able to do that. I don't think that made us bad parents. It just meant we had to be intentional in other ways. He also said this, talk about them when you sit at home. Or sorry, that was, that was the first one. Um, when you walk along the road, right? That we spend time driving. We spend a lot of time driving. And, and I know that car TVs and car Wi-Fi and tablets, I know they make the drive easier, but here's what I also think happens, is it causes us to miss opportunities for uninterrupted time together. See, I think this is what Moses meant. Is on the way to soccer practice, I want you to, to be intentional, right, and, and talk together. Point out God's creation. Sing together. Make up answers as to how bridges are built, because nobody really knows how bridges are built, right? But, but you point it all back to God, and when they get whiny and say, how much longer? You remind them that God made time, too, right? Everything goes back to God. He says, when you lie down and when you get up, be intentional with times of reflection at night and reminders of their purpose in the morning. Craig Rochelle is a, a pastor in Oklahoma. I remember he shared a message once. It was his daily declarations. The things that he says every single day that remind him of, of who God is, what God has done, right, who he is as a result, and, and his, God's purpose for his life. And I stole that, and I, I worked it into my own, and, and I try to say it to myself every single morning. What if we shared that with our kids at breakfast? Because you know that they're going to be, they're going to face hundreds of negative things today. But what if they started by hearing clearly how much God loved them, and being reminded that they have a purpose with God in mind. Look at what he says in verse 8. He says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And he's saying just simply use whatever it is that's around you as things to help them to remember and to celebrate and to grow in their faith in Jesus. Here's the last one. It's this, is don't parent alone. I get that you may feel like you're the only one struggling with whatever it is you're dealing with. And I understand that, that you may be in a place where you just don't want people to see the mess that's going on behind closed doors. Can I remind you of something? The perfect family is an illusion. There's no such thing. 
right? And before Moses even told us how to parent, look at what he said, three words. He said, hear, O Israel. And Moses said this, he said, guys, he said, I'm going to tell you how to parent, but here's what I need first. I need all the singles, singles, I need you to gather around. I need the parents who have lost a child and suffered through the most devastating loss imaginable on earth. I need blended families. I need grandparents, great-grandparents. I need everyone to gather around together. And here's why. Because it's our responsibility to raise our children together. I want you to see a story that shows how this has been lived out here at Hope. Check this out. My son's name is Saison, and he has exceptional abilities, and he is in the buddy program here. So he has a one-on-one -on -one for 45 minutes while I am able to attend church services. They are exceptional volunteers to come in and work with all the children that have, you know, special and extraordinary needs. I was in the lobby one day, and he was just going through the motions with the buddy. And I was just so overwhelmed with him being a single mother, a widow. I was overwhelmed. I didn't know what to do. So I'm down on the floor, about to give it all up. And volunteers surrounded me and my children. And they said, we are in this together. What can we do? One volunteer just took my son, and he was just going through it with that volunteer. But that volunteer was working with them and they didn't let them go and I'm crying and they're crying and they're saying, we're in this together, how can we help? See, those small words, how can we help, made me not feel alone anymore. And them surrounding me and them crying with me, what did they cry for? You know, I knew while I was crying, I was giving it all up. But to have somebody down on the ground, not caring what was going on around them, you know, working with my son over there trying to get him together and, and just comforting me. I just didn't feel like I wasn't in this situation anymore by myself. That is such a beautiful example of how much we need each other. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Heather, and I am super excited about the things that I get to share with you today, but I don't want you to think for even a second, even though Donnie said I was incredible, I'm not his mom, he doesn't know that. Um, I don't want you to think for a second that I'm a perfect parent. In fact, just yesterday, just before I had to leave to come here, I was at my 10-year-old son's football game, and I watched him take a hit where he broke his wrist. <laughs> Now, I didn't know he had broken his wrist. In fact, I was really excited about the hit. And as he comes off the field, and you need to know I'm the kind of mom who kind of keeps like the compassion like sort of like bottled up for when I really need it. And so as he comes off the field and he comes up to me, my response to him was, hey, buddy, I need you to stop crying. You're wasting the oxygen. Your body needs to heal itself. Like, what does that even mean? That's not a thing. So I lie to my kids so they'll stop crying. So I'm not perfect, and I hope that I'm in good company and that none of you is perfect either. In fact, I lose a lot of sleep wondering if I'm setting my boys up to know what it is that they're going to need to know as adults. And I know most of you are the same way. Because of my job, I get the opportunity to talk to a lot of parents. And when I ask the question, what is it you really want for your kids, most of us say the same thing. We want them to be happy, right? We want them to not just be happy because of stuff or winning championships. We want them to be deeply happy. We want them to thrive. Well, the good news is that's what God wants for all of us, too. In the book of John, chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, I have come that they, and that's us, may have life and have life to the full, overflowing with goodness. But we've all been alive long enough to know that that's not always the case, is it? Life is hard. So how does that line up? Well, in that same verse, Jesus warns us that there's an enemy. 
There's a villain, and it's Satan, and he operates as a thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. And in light of that, in John chapter 16, he even says, in this world you will have trouble, but you can take heart. I've overcome the world. But that's what keeps me up at night, knowing that my kids have an enemy that they're not prepared to face, and knowing that in this world they will have trouble. It's not if, it's when. Now, some of this trouble comes at our kids, and it's out of their control. It comes at them sideways, just like it does for us. Some of it comes as a result of bad decisions they make. And so how in the world do we set them up to thrive in light of that? Well, it starts with what Donnie talked about. We show them where the boundaries are. We remind them of the commandments as often as we can that are meant to keep them safe. And I like the simplicity of that plan, natural times of day, moments that already happen. But here's where that breaks down. What if these commandments and this God that we're supposed to love with all of our hearts is not really all that compelling to our kids or maybe even to us? Now, I know that's a little uncomfortable to suggest in church, but if you have kids or if you've met kids, they're not naturally inclined to obey. And so when we ask them to obey the ancient rules of an invisible God, that might not be all that compelling to them. Why should they care? Now, that's an important question, and it's one that we can't ignore. They'll need to know the answer because the kids who grow up knowing and trusting in God know and trust because their hearts have been captured by him and have been captured by the gospel. Capturing kids' hearts for the gospel sounds way churchy, and it sounds even harder than the reminding them of the commandments all day, every day. How in the world do we do that? Well, how did Moses do it for an entire nation? He was able to convince them. If you go a little further into the speech that Donnie was talking about in Deuteronomy chapter 6, picking up in verse 20, Moses says to the crowd, In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to give our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God, so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. So Moses' response to the question, why do we have to do all this stuff that's so hard? It actually starts with the answer, we were slaves. Well, that's kind of a weird response, right? But look at what he's doing. The people that he's talking to were just slaves. They can probably still smell the mud they used to make bricks. They have the scars of their own oppression literally on their backs. They just experienced an unbelievable escape that took them through the middle of a sea. They experienced firsthand the lengths to which God would go to rescue them. But in the future, they won't have those same scars. They won't see those images of that escape when they close their eyes. They won't have had that dramatic firsthand experience with God. So Moses is setting up Israel and all of us to be able to help our kids know that they're going to have to first trust God's faithfulness. And the first thing they need to know is that they're sinners. Now, we know that. <laughs> we see it all the time, but they're not born knowing that. They're not born knowing that they are actually in slavery to sin, separated from God, doomed to perish and unable to rescue themselves. They'll need to know that the wages or the payment for that sin is death, but that while they were still sinners, Christ died for them. They'll need to know that so that when they struggle to get it right, 
over and over again. They'll know that they couldn't possibly do it on their own, even if they tried. Next thing they'll need to know is that their rescue wasn't easy. Now, it's not so they'll feel guilty about it. The fact that the God of the universe would send his one and only son to die in our place just communicates how deeply he loves us. He gave the most he could give. It's hard to doubt that you matter when you believe that's true. And it's hard to doubt that he's fighting for us when you can see that he already did. So parents, that's where we start. We start by first anticipating and being okay with the fact that our kids are going to ask us, why in the world should I care about the principles found inside that book? And why should I trust a God that I can't see? And we have to anticipate that they're gonna face some things that none of us saw coming and that we couldn't possibly have prevented. And that we might not be there when it happens, but we want them to be able to respond in those moments. I know that God is faithful. And if they can trust that he pulled off their rescue from sin and death before they ever knew to ask for it, they're far more likely to believe that he can pull off a million other smaller rescues in their own lives. And they're far more likely to believe that they're significant. And they're far more likely, and here's the ticket, they're far more likely to respect the rules of a God who love them that much. So if you're in this room right now and you're not a parent or your kids are grown, you might be tempted to feel relieved. Whew, that sounds like a lot of work. Stinks to be those guys. <laughs> but you're not off the hook. If you remember, Moses began this speech with what three words? Hear, O Israel. We have a collective responsibility to help a generation that's fighting through more than we would like to imagine. Now I thought it would be helpful after I have water for us to have a little snapshot of exactly what they're up against. According to the most recent studies done on child outcomes by the Harvard Center for the Developing Child, 3.2 million kids a year struggle with being bullied. 1.2 million of our students are choosing to drop out of high school. Nine out of 10 adults who struggle with drug addiction report that they began using before the age of 18. The second leading cause of death in people ages 15 through 20 is suicide. And if you haven't listened to anything else, I want you to hear this. Every day in the United States alone, there are 5,400 attempted suicides by students in grades seven through 12, seventh graders. Now I remember middle school being tough but I don't remember ever feeling like life wasn't worth fighting through. <laughs> but there's hope. I'm not going to leave us there. Oh, Israel, there is something we can do. In that same study, the one with all the tragic data was determined that for every kid who overcomes overwhelming odds, he had at least one stable and committed relationship with a supportive parent, caregiver, or other adult. So parents, if you doubted it, you matter. But here's a thought. If one adult, one parent could have that much of an impact on the outcome for a child, what if there were five for every kid? Now, five is not a magic number, but it is a strong number. Imagine if every kid had five people reminding him that he's loved unconditionally, worth fighting for, and has a purpose in God's story. Imagine if we built teams of support around our kids and teenagers. What would that do to the depression, dropout, addiction, and suicide rates in our schools, in our families, in our community, and in our world. 
Well, I'm just crazy enough to believe that we can do it. <laughs> but we won't be able to do it just because we hope it will happen. We'll have to have a plan. So in the last few minutes that I have here, I'm going to give us four steps that we can take to move in that direction. The first thing that we'll have to do is we'll have to identify who we want on the team. And that starts with looking at who's already there. Yes, there's already a team, and parents, you're on it. And so are teachers, coaches, the parents of your kids' best friends, grandparents, aunts and uncles, any adult with whom they spend a decent amount of time is already on their team. Are you okay with all those people? Once you've identified who's on the team, now you begin to invite people in. Once you know what kind of people you want to surround your kid with, you start to ask them and tell them. If it's someone who's already there, change their mindset by making it personal and intentional. Maybe it's someone who you just want to pray consistently for your kid on a weekly or daily basis. Let them know. And once you've invited the team and you've started to build it with people whose marriage or parenting or whose walk with Christ demonstrate that confidence in God, now's the fun part. You begin to invest in that child. But ironically, that starts with what Donnie was talking about. You'll have to invest in your own relationship with Jesus first. You can't possibly give out of an abundance that you don't have. Once you're doing that and you're reminding yourself of God's faithfulness on a regular basis, now invite the team to join you. Now this investment, it looks different based on your family and your kids and teenagers. It can be that asking someone to pray consistently or it, it could be showing up for baptism or asking someone to come to a birthday party or a ball game. Or maybe, like in my case, I hate Taco Bell. I have someone I asked to take my kid to Taco Bell because he loves it. Or maybe you're the parent of a preteen daughter and neither one of you, you just can't even anymore. And you need to call in for backup. Call her favorite aunt and say, I need you to come get this girl and take her to practice or out for a milkshake so we'll all live a little longer. There's no shame in that. Once you're doing that and you've invited people to invest intentionally in your kid, the very last step is to repeat the process. You thought it was gonna start with an I, I know. I'm not a pastor, it doesn't have to. <laughs> you repeat the process as often as possible. Teachers come and go, coaches come and go. Sometimes we lose family members. You have to repeat that process. Now, I believe, <laughs> this is why I think it's possible. Five out of five of us, this is us turning these statistics on their heads. Five out of five of us can be one of five in the life of a kid or teenager. This doesn't require any of us to be an expert in anything. It doesn't require us to be Bible scholars or if you're working with teens to understand Snapchat, who understands that? It doesn't require anything other than you showing up and showing up and showing up. It's what God did for us when he sent Jesus, and it's what Jesus did for, does for us every day. It's no accident that when God sent Jesus to the world as a baby, he said, you shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that when Jesus ascended to heaven, he didn't just peace out, he left the Holy Spirit. And he said, surely I am with you always. Now our kids are going to need to know that, but the most tangible way that we can prove it to them is by showing up and saying yes to being on their team. And by not giving up when it gets messy or complicated or inconvenient or when they push us away or when they bite us, <laughs> it's not easy. Now there's something I've been wanting to show you ever since the thought first occurred to me. And it's one of the reasons why I believe this church is one of the greatest resources a family can have. 
If you're in this room right now and you're a parent of, yes, I'm going to ask you to do something. You're a parent of a child ages born yesterday through 12th grade. I want you to stand. Born yesterday through 12th grade. (laughs) Now I'm going to say to you what I say to my kids. I want you to look at me. Look at me. You matter. You have been called, and yes, you are the one who has chosen to be the parent of your kids. And if you doubted that today, or if you've doubted that recently, those are lies. You are the one. But you can't do it by yourself. You're right. Look around. I can see if you're not doing it. Look around. Look at each other. (laughs) You need each other. There are parents in the room who are further along the road than where you are. You need them to say, hey, it's going to be all right. I've been there. And you need some other people to say, like, yeah, I'm right there with you. We're doing that right now, too. Let's pray for each other. You can't do it alone. You can sit. Now, parents, let me show you something else. (laughs) If you're in this room and you volunteer, if you serve on the Kid City, that's our ministry for birth through fifth grade, you serve on the Kid City team, I want you to stand up. In any capacity, you serve in Kid City. Stay standing. If you serve on our special needs ministry team, would you join them, staff or volunteers? How about our middle school ministry? If you serve in our middle school ministry, would you stand? In our high school ministry, if you serve in high school, would you stand? And that includes those of you who are students who lead peer-led groups with an adult mentor. I'm talking to you too. Now, parents... I want you to look around at these people. They said yes to being on your team, and most of you never knew to ask. They've said yes to being one of five and to showing up right along with you and fighting for your kid to know that he or she is worth showing up for. If you needed proof today of God's faithfulness in your life or in your kid's life, it's standing up all around you. Thank you all. I have a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old. You can sit. Now, this is the part where I hope that you feel compelled. I hope that your hearts feel like you just want to go and chase after these teens who are in their own Egypt in crisis. This is the part where we often ask ourselves questions like, what would that be like? What if I believed that was true? What if I started building a team of support around my kid or teenager? What if I, as a teenager, started asking people to do that for me? What if we all saw ourselves, whether it's a coach as a team, a leader of a choir, you're in, you lead a Boy Scout troop, wherever, whenever, here, joining with those people who are standing up. What if you decided to be one of five in the life of a kid or teenager? Well, I have a better question. <laughs> what if you don't? I will fight, oh, I will fight for you. I always do until my heart is black and blue. I will stay, I will stay with you. We'll make it to the other side. Like lovers do 
I'll reach my hand out in the dark and wait for yours to interlock. I'll wait for you. I'll wait for you. Cause I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up, giving up, no, not yet. Even when I'm down to my last breath. up on I'm not giving up I'm not giving up giving up no not me even when nobody else believes I'm not going down that easily well don't give up on me I will hold oh I hold This world will throw Won't shake me loose I'll reach my hand out In the dark And wait for yours to interlock I'll wait for you I'll wait for you Cause I'm not giving up I'm not giving up, giving up No, not that we didn't address that you may feel in this room is that it's too late. Maybe your kids are grown or you wish you could go back and you could do some things differently or ask some people to be on your team. I can tell you, and I mean it in the best way, that's a waste of your time. The best thing that you can do is to take steps to move forward. You can continue to pray for that kid, but take steps to move forward. What can you do now? Because God is the God of your future. And I just want to remind you that you're not in this alone. If you're a parent, we have an amazing family ministry that wants to partner with you and journey with you wherever you are. The Parent Hub resource that Chase talked about earlier, whatever you're dealing with, whatever stage your kids are at, there are resources there to help you. If you want to be one of five, you want to be a mentor, you want to, to come alongside and to help make a difference in the lives of one of our children or our students, we need you. And it's as simple as going out to our Next Steps area after service and just tell them, I want to be one of five. And we are going to get you connected so you can make a difference in the life of someone else. There's one last group that we want to talk to. And 
And that's a family that would describe themselves as being in critical condition right now. Maybe you're a high school student or a college student, and you're just at the end. It's tough, and you just don't know how much longer you can hang on. Can I just tell you, you're not alone. We're here to help. Here's my, my ask is, would you be courageous enough just to ask for help? If you email us at care at gethope.net between our incredible care team and our family ministry, we will love you where you are and we will join with you and partner in this journey because you're not in this alone. Parenting is so tough, but it's not too late to start today. You don't have to do it by yourself. Let's pray. Father, God, we thank you. God, thank you for the family. Every single one of us is a kid. God, and some of us, are, our family experiences were incredible. For some of us, it, it was maybe the, the biggest source of pain in our lives. God, and although we've experienced all of these different experiences in that as we sit in this room together, Father, the one thing that hasn't changed is you. God, you don't make mistakes. Nothing happens by accident. And so, Father, even in the most dysfunctional family, you used that family to create us with the DNA that you wanted us to have so that we could fulfill the purpose that you designed for our lives from the very beginning. God, you've never turned your back on us, and we thank you for that. God, thank you for your rescue mission that sent your son Jesus into this world to die on our behalf, to bring us back to you, to adopt us into your family and make us your sons and your daughters. God, we thank you for that. And then, God, we thank you that you've not stopped working in our lives to rescue our families now. God, the best way that we can love our kids is by allowing your love to fill our lives and then overflow into their lives. And so God, we thank you. Thank you that we're not in this alone, that you're with us and that we do this together. Father, help us to be faithful to that and to continue to count on your faithfulness all the time. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in your perfect name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We are so excited to be a small part of all the great things that God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download the Hope app to find out ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. 